everyone here this morning. And uh, we want to welcome everybody online. Thank you for joining us at this time. If you have children with you, ages 3 through 3rd grade, and you would like for them to make their way down to the kids' zone, they are free to go down this hallway and down the steps, or you can go out this, these double doors and down the steps. Uh, parents, you're free to also take them down there, and then please come back. Uh, it's Children's Church down there, okay? All right, so uh, thank you uh, for allowing... You know, children to be here with us this morning, we'd love for them, as many of them, to be a part of the Kids Zone Children's Church downstairs as possible, but if you'd like to keep your children with you this morning, you are free to do that as well. We also have a nursery uh, for those up to infant through two-year-olds, and uh, that is just down the hall, take a left, and it's towards the end of that hall. So uh, if you have children this morning that you'd like to be uh, in a children's church or nursery, you are free to have them there or with you this morning, either way. So again, welcome this morning. I uh, appreciate each one of you that has taken the time to come together as the body. And then also those of you that are joining us, being a part of the body online, we appreciate you joining us as well. And as I look around this uh, room, I just praise God for the family of God that extends beyond just the Casper community, but also into other states and the family of God that is, is based off of being a part of a family that wraps around the world. And so appreciate each and every one of you being here this morning. If you are new with us this morning, thanks for taking the time to join us. And uh, again, if you're new, we're going to go through a series of parables through the book of Matthew that will wrap up here next Sunday. And uh, then we're going to move on to some other things that we're going to be looking at as we kind of go through a series on what we're looking at as far as our goals, our mission as a church body. And so we're excited that God is continuing to do uh, amazing things. We're excited for a new school year for our Christian school that will kick off tomorrow. And thanking God for all the, the teachers and the students that are going to be a part of the school this year. And uh, praising God for those who are in administration that are working hard to provide a Christian education uh, for our community. And so we're excited about that. Uh, we're also excited that this past week, uh, Ashley Berlin was able to make it home safely to Tanzania, Africa, and praying that uh, God will continue to work mightily through her there as she works faithfully for the kingdom of God there in Tanzania, Africa. So God is continuing to do some neat, amazing things, and we're in the midst of a time where uh, it, it's it's maybe for some scary, maybe for others uh, uncertain, and uh, at times we, we kind of get caught up maybe in things that we don't have control over. And it's interesting as I look through, as we've been going through different parables, there's been these choices that take place in these different parables. That you're either one or the other. You have this choice or that choice. And we kind of have that same uh, opportunity this morning as we look at chapter 25, verses 1 through 13. So if you want to turn over in your scriptures, whether it be a paper Bible or a digital device, Matthew chapter 25, 1 through 13. In a moment, we're going to read that. But as I was kind of studying through this, uh, what was going on in this parable, uh, a well-known Christian wrote, the last days are upon us. Weigh carefully the times. Look for him who is above all time, eternal and invisible. And that was not written by a modern prophecy expert. It was written by a man named Ignatius about 110 A.D., just a couple decades after the Apostle John wrote Revelation. 
Another Christian wrote, There is no doubt that the Antichrist has already been born, firmly established in his early years. He will, after reaching maturity, achieve supreme power. And that was written by an influential Christian named Martin of Tours, about 375 A.D. Another early church father, Hippolytus, wrote in the year 236 A.D., that Christ was sure to return by 500 A.D. And it continues on and on. As I looked up on Wikipedia, you can go on Wikipedia and list all the different people that have different, you know, made prophecies. Uh, I, one of the ones that even is interesting to me, a little unknown fact, um, or maybe it, some of you know this, that the life of Christopher Columbus, he was someone that really enjoyed the study of biblical prophecy, and he wrote a volume called The Book of Prophecies, in which he predicted that the world would end in the year 1656. Well, that time has come and gone, and of course, Tim LaHaye and Jerry B. Jenkins stated that the Y2K bug would trigger global economic chaos, which the Antichrist would use to rise to power, but as the date approached... However, they changed their minds. You see, it, it never really stops. It continues on. And, and these are the things that Jesus was trying to prevent, to kind of guard against. And yet as Christians and others, that we have this tendency to want to know the day when Jesus is going to come again. And in fact, there are predictions, again, on Wikipedia, all the way up 22 million years down the road, there's a prediction that that's when the earth is going to end and Jesus is going to come again. And yet Jesus, again, on the other hand, if you look at Matthew chapter 24, it, some of the headings there are the signs of the end of the age. And then there's also the heading, the day and the hour unknown. And Jesus insists that we cannot and will not know the time of his return. Instead, he taught us through a series of several parables that we ought to be prepared at all times. And so this parable that we're looking at in some of your versions say the parable of the ten virgins. In others it says the parable of the bride's ten bridesmaids. And it's this concept, if I was to retitle the message this morning, be prepared. Will you pray with me? Father, this morning, that is our desire, that we are prepared for when you come again. And God, we're grateful for the reality and the hope that we have of eternity spent with you. God, until that day comes, may we eagerly wait for that day. And it's in the name of Jesus I pray. Amen. If you want to again turn over to Matthew chapter 25, verses 1 through 13. It says, At that time the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, hey, give us some of your oil, our lamps are going out. No, they replied. There may not be enough for both of us and you, both us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. 
The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the doors were shut. Later the others also came. Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, truly I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. And as you look through this parable, it's pretty straightforward that it's the message once again of be prepared. Be prepared, be ready, be alert at all time. And the first thing I would encourage you to be prepared in, even though he delays, even though Jesus delays, as we look at verses 1 through 5, notice that in this story, it's the groom that's kind of getting the attention here. It's the groom that's the center of this wedding procession. In the male-dominated society of Jesus' day, that was pretty common, okay? That's not necessarily how it goes these days, does it? For us, in our culture, it's the bride that we're kind of waiting on. We're waiting for, for her to come into the room when we all stand and we all get to, to see the beautiful bride for the very first time in her beautiful wedding dress. And, and the groom, he's just kind of the, the guy up next to the preacher and he's just kind of, his palms are sweating and he's, he's kind of nervous and his heart's racing and he, he's, he's just praising God that this beautiful woman that's coming down the aisle is going to be his bride. And in our culture, we wait for the bride. In fact, in this congregation, some of you have been to a wedding where you waited a long time for a bride. I asked Jonah and Hannah if I could share their wedding day story. And Jonah and Hannah Wing, they were married in, in January and it was snowy. I wasn't there. My family was there. And it was, it was windy and the roads were icy. Imagine that here in Wyoming. And it was supposed, the wedding was supposed to start at 4.30. Well, Hannah was on her way to the church driving Jonah's truck. And she said that she took what she thought was a shortcut to the church down a very random side road. And it ended up sliding into two parked vehicles. And of course then, they had to call the cops and report the accident. Which left around 300 or so guests here in the building waiting for about two hours for the bride to eventually show up. Now, I was asking my kids how that went, and they said, Man, it was hot in here, it was packed, you know. And, and again, I, I wasn't there, but Hannah said that I think I walked down the aisle at about 6 30 that evening. You see, there's, there's times where we wait for the bride. And we're used to that in our culture, and in their culture at that time, they were used to waiting for the groom. They were anxiously waiting for the groom to, to come. And part of the wedding celebration was the feast that we talked about last week. The party that we want to invite people to, to be a part of. And this part of the wedding ceremony included that wedding feast that would take place, and it was traditional for the bridesmaids to wait at home together for the bridegroom to come and bring them to the wedding feast. And as I researched this, another part of the tradition was for the bridegroom to negotiate with the bride's family about a gift to give them in return for their daughter's hand in marriage. And as that took place, there was negotiations that would 
happen over time. And, and in fact, there would be the parents that would th say, well, you know, they, they would make the, the, br the groom wait and say, well, you know, you, you didn't give enough. The gift isn't enough. That's not, our daughter's worth more than that. And so there would be this negotiation that took place that would then cause a delay in the bridegroom coming. And all the while, those who, that were invited to the wedding celebration, the banquet, the, the bridesmaids, those that are listed here were waiting for the groom to come, and, and they needed to be ready at a moment's notice for that to take place in order for him to come escort them to the feast. And I don't know if you've heard about the story of Dave and Maxine Stevens, their first date. I don't even know if they know, remember this, but uh, um, <laughs> Dave, uh, you know, they're going to go on their first date, and uh, Maxine was expecting Dave to show up. And so she was dressed up and waiting patiently. And however, the, the time passed, and, and pretty soon Dave's an hour late. And she figured, man, I, I must be stood up here. And so she took off her makeup, Maxine, put on her pajamas, gathered all the junk food from the pantry, and, and, and went to the, the TV room and to watch TV with the dog. And as her favorite show was coming on, the doorbell rang, and it was her Dave. And he stared at her wide-eyed and said, I'm two hours late, and you're still not ready? <laughs> well, maybe that's not quite how their first date went. I don't, I don't know. But Jesus said, don't let my return sneak up on you. Be ready at all times. In fact, some of you might remember the California electricity crisis, also known as the Western U.S. energy crisis of 2001 and 2000. And it's, it kind of snuck up on them that winter, didn't it? Or did it? I, I mean, if you think about it, shouldn't they have seen it coming and been prepared for it? Why did they ignore the obvious? No power plants built in 10 years while the population grew? Old plants closed for good and some closed for repairs. Did it sneak up on them? They took the convenience for granted without considering what it takes to maintain that convenience. And because of that, all of a sudden, in 2000, 2001, they were in a crisis. What about us as Christians? Do we let things sneak up on us? Are we prepared? Are we ready? Because in 1 Thessalonians 5, chapter 2, excuse me, chapter 5, verses 2 through 4, says, For you know quite well that the day of the Lord will come unexpectedly, like a thief in the night. When people are saying, all is well, everything is peaceful and secure, then disaster will fall upon them as suddenly as a woman's birth pains begin when her child is about to be born. And there will be no escape. But you aren't in the dark about these things. Dear brothers and sisters, and you won't be surprised when the day of the Lord comes like a thief. You see, Jesus' return, it shouldn't sneak up on us. The reality is, is that we as Christians know that Jesus is going to come again. And so, are we ready? Are we prepared? And as we wait, Jesus refers to two kinds of people. Prepared and the not prepared. The wise and the foolish. 
The Greek word for foolish is M-O-R-A-I, morai, I haven't done Greek in a while, but it's the, it's the word that we use that where we get the word moron from, okay? This idea, some translations use the word silly. They, they weren't prepared. They, they didn't think it through. And these ten bridesmaids represent we who are, re, who are waiting for the return of Christ. You see, we've all been invited to the banquet, we're, we're all with our torches. We, we were ready to go with, with that. But how many of us have brought extra oil as we wait for Jesus' return? Are we the wise or the foolish? Are we prepared or not prepared for Jesus' return? It says they all brought their lamps, or in the Greek, the lampadas, which means a torch. Sometimes we imagine a little kerosene lamp, that sort of thing. It, it's more probably in the, in the sense of a, a stick with rags that were oiled to be burnt. It's this torch ready to go to have the lights. And, and as I did some research, a lot of the procession to the, the wedding feast was at night. And so that would be the, the reason for the, the lamps, for the torches. But not all of them, again, brought extra oil. And because the bridegroom was a long time coming, it says that they all became drowsy and fell asleep. You notice that? It, it doesn't say that the five foolish became drowsy and fell asleep. It says they all became drowsy and fell asleep. And as I was reading through that, your, your initial reaction might be, well, man, these people, they're, they're supposed to be ready and prepared. And, you know, well, they're not very good people. They're not real faithful followers. And, and yet as I studied this out, it to me, it's more the concept of as we wait for eternity, the spiritual things of eternity, the reality is, is that we still live in a physical world. And so our bodies wear out, and we're not perfect, and we're going to get tired. But the difference between the wise that got drowsy and fell asleep and the foolish that got drowsy and fell asleep were that the wise were prepared for when the bridegroom did finally show up. They were ready to go at the very last minute, and yet the foolish, at the very last minute, they're scrambling. They're trying to figure out, well, oh man, I'm not quite ready. I need, can you help me out here? You know, I, I need some extra oil. And they, they had time to get that extra oil. There, there had been plenty of time up to that point to get prepared, and yet their procrastination caused them embarrassment when the bridegroom finally showed up to escort them to the banquet, they had run out of oil, and they had to run to the store to get some more. And the problem was is that when they returned and they sought entrance to the feast, they were considered no different than any other uninvited seekers. The feast had begun and the doors were locked, some translations say, and it was too late. And Jesus says, his return will be like that. And as followers of Jesus, we have to be prepared at all times because there are some things that you just can't borrow. There's some things that you just can't borrow. As you look at verses 6 through 9, and the, the ones, the foolish that are running out of oil, and then they beg those that have oil, the, the wise, to, to provide some. Once again, it seems like, well, the wise are mean, aren't they? They're rude. 
they're, they're, why wouldn't they share? And I think that's, this is in the parable for this very reason. is because it reminds us that we can't rely on someone else's preparedness. You see what's going on here? You see, maybe you have grandparents or parents that are faithful followers of Jesus Christ. And you think, well, that's good enough. My grandparents, my parents are, they're gung-ho about Jesus. I'm not so much, but that's going to get me into heaven. No. Uh, their preparedness doesn't just transfer over to you. Maybe you have a sibling that's strong in their faith or a co-worker. Or maybe you have a best friend that's following Jesus with all of their heart. And you, in your mind, think, well, that's good enough for me because I know them that's good enough. I'm going to make it in. And yet here, it says that the oil, that their oil wasn't transferring over to the foolish. You see, there's some things that we just can't borrow. And if you think that you're going to get in on the coattails of a loved one, that's not how it works. You have to have a faith of your own. And it has to be a faith that actually changes how you think and how you act, and how you live, and how you talk. See, it has to be a faith that's alive. And Jesus said in Matthew 7, 21 through 23, a very familiar passage, and it's interesting how this translation says it. It says, not all people who sound religious are really godly. They may refer to me as Lord, but they still won't enter the kingdom of heaven. The decisive issue is whether they obey my Father in heaven. On judgment day, many will tell me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and performed many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Go away. You have to have your own relationship with God. And if you think again that you're going to get into the kingdom of God on the coattails of someone else in your family or a loved one, that's not how it works. Clearly, there's a challenge in this text. Will we have oil for our lamps when the bridegroom comes for us? And if you think about this idea of oil and how it represents the, the concept of our relationship with God and, and how God's grace and love transforms us and as we submit to God's lordship in our life, it begins to change us. And it's not just a one-time coming forward type of deal, but it's an every single day lifestyle that you're willing to live for the creator of the world. And it takes a willingness to trust in God. Just the other day I watched a movie that said, trust and obey. You see, it, it takes both. It's not just a trusting in God, but it's a willingness to be obedient to Him. And we need to grow in our relationship. We need to, to have that oil ready. And among international students, it's interesting that those international students that come to America to study in our universities, it's said that if a fellow foreign student becomes lax or grows complacent, if they stop making all the possible effort that they can, if they forget the sacrifice necessary to be there, then they will be accused of going American. And basically, international students have noticed that some American students coming from our culture are, have this uh, mentality of being entitled. 
having easy opportunity and they always seem like they demand more and more and want things faster and better and they expect life to be easy without much of a sacrifice or effort and they, they show very little gratitude for what they do receive. And in a lot of ways, it seems like it's a harsh, harsh evaluation of our culture, but it's a harsh evaluation that may reveal some very difficult truth. And sometimes I think as Christians, we go American in the church. We become lax and we become more worldly than godly. We're ungrateful and we're spiritually lazy at times. And we forget the high cost of God's love poured out through the blood of Jesus. And we figure God owes us, right? I mean, God should be grateful that I show up once a month on Sunday mornings. I mean, he owes it to me. And we expect God to make our lives easy and pleasant and for God to quickly provide exactly what we need or want. And that God is, is always needs to respond to our every little whim. And even though we refuse to submit to his rule in our lives and, and his authority, we think that God owes us. We want to control and limit God's impact and rule in our lives. We want a type of religion that doesn't really cost us anything. We don't want to be all in. We just want a little bit. And this parable is a stark reminder to those who've grown lax, to the church insiders and members that have gone lazy and unmotivated. It, just that concept, that phrase of, of gone American reminds me of, of in a... Uh, Oh, I'm going to move on. It, it, okay, anyway, side note. My brain went somewhere, and I'm going to bring it back. But we choose to ignore and refuse God's ongoing call in our lives at times. And we're more content with just kind of getting by as Christians. And this parable is meant to grab our attention and to shake awake those who don't take God's truth seriously. And there's a lot more to the Christian life than just showing up. There's a lot more than just smiles and warm, fuzzy feelings. It requires more than just being a member and then watching everyone else do the work and, and serve the church and, and give where it needs to be given. It means to, to live out our lives to the richest and the fullest, to fully commit our ways to serving our Lord because once again, some things, they just can't be borrowed. It's got to be our own. And the question again is, are we wise or are we foolish? Are we prepared or are we unprepared? Do we have extra oil ready to go? You see, we need to first seek and obey the will of God in our lives. And not just showing up occasionally after we get through doing with whatever we wanted to do in the first place. Not giving God just our leftovers of our time. See, the call is to be ready and prepared with oil for our lamps. And that oil is this deepening relationship, this hungering for God's word, a desire to know God above everything else in our lives, to be intimate with the creator of the universe. The oil is our lives lived usefully and faithfully for God. Our call is to wait and be ready, prepared no matter what the future holds for us. And it means to grow deeper, more faithful with the Lord. You know, at times, it's easy enough to look good on the surface, 
but as God's truth really permeated down deep into our hearts and our souls. And it's easy enough to appear godly and holy for a season, but will our faith last over time and adversity? The truth will be revealed by how we run life's long race, hour by hour, day by day, all the way to the end. And if I'm to quote uh, Caribou Coffee, life is short, stay awake for it. Or to quote Jesus Christ, Luke 12, 35 through 38, he says, Be dressed, ready for service, and keep your lamps burning. Like servants waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet, so that when he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. Now catch this. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. Truly I tell you, he will dress himself to serve, will have them recline at the table, and will come and wait on them. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them ready, even if he comes in the middle of the night or toward daybreak. Is there evidence of a relationship, a real relationship with Jesus in your life? Or do you just have the torch and you're not really prepared? To be prepared all the time means that I have to stop procrastinating. If you look at these last verses, they, they waited way too long to get more oil. In fact, they waited so long that the bridegroom was getting ready to come, and so then they had to go to the store to get more oil. And by the time they came back, it was too late. See, now is what matters. Today is all we have. The present is what we live in. And we have no guarantee of tomorrow. And all we have for sure is today. And we can't wait to the last minute. See, last second preparation, it's not effective. As we see in this parable, it, it doesn't do the job. Waiting to the last minute is not going to get us in. In fact, Hebrews 3 Verses 7 and 8 and 15, they have all this reoccurring phrase that takes place. It says, the Holy Spirit says, today you must listen to his voice. Don't harden your hearts against him as Israel did when they rebelled. But never forget the warning. Today you must listen to his voice. Don't harden your hearts against him. It's this call that comes out to us that right now is what matters. What happened yesterday, it's in the past. God can forgive you no matter what you've been going through, no matter what mistakes you've made. Today is the day to be ready for the Lord's return. We, as followers of Jesus, a lot of times we like the stories that Jesus told that emphasize his gracious invitations, the offers of mercy, and that's the way this story starts but then there's these words that take place here in this parable. And the door was shut. Or it was locked. It was final. Jesus said that the kingdom of heaven is like this story as well. All people that are so good, and many of us are, at procrastinating. We like the parables that offer grace and forgiveness at any time 
and God will take you as you are, and, and that is truth. But there's also truth that there's an end to the window of opportunity. And it comes at our earthly death, our physical death, or when Jesus comes again, whatever one comes first. And the reality is that at some point, it's going to be too late. I mean, we love the verse in 2 Peter 3, 9 that says that God is patient and he doesn't want anyone to perish, which is so true. And that's why we have a responsibility to take the gospel, the good news out to people and invite them to the party because God is waiting for us to do that. But at some point, according to this parable, there's going to be a time when the door is shut. And those who are not prepared will beg for the door to be opened. And the answer will be, I tell you the truth. I don't know you. See, there are no second chances at that point. In fact, Hebrews 9, 27 says, Just as a man is destined to die once, and after that, to face judgment. So how do I keep plenty of oil in my lamp? How do I make sure I'm prepared? And if you're here this morning and if you've never committed your life to Jesus Christ, one of the very first steps is to put your faith in Jesus. That's where it's going to start for you this morning. And when you're clothed with Christ through baptism, as Galatians 3.27 talks about, as we discussed last week of being dressed for the wedding banquet properly, and you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit and the forgiveness of your sins, and that's when the new begins you're a new creation you have a new nature you begin to draw and, and and depend on that holy spirit power that dwells within you to change you day in and day out if you've already placed your faith in jesus as your lord and savior then my challenge for you this morning is if you're going to be prepared you got to spend time knowing what god wants to spend time in his word, to dwell and to meditate on his word, to, to soak it in, to, to, to be prepared by allowing that relationship to grow and to mature. And I've asked this before, but I want to ask it again. If you knew that tomorrow was your last day on earth, how would you live it differently? Would you confess hidden sins that you've been holding on to, that you said, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to worry about that later? Would you allow for God's Holy Spirit to, to convict you to the point where you surrender your life to Jesus for the very first time, to receive his forgiveness, to be immersed into the watery graves of baptism, to rise a new creation? Would you heal a relationship, someone that has hurt you, and would you forgive them? Would you talk to God in prayer more? Would you finally get around to sharing your faith with that person, that relative, that coworker that you've been thinking about and praying for for so long? And if that's you, if you want to keep your oil full, Jesus is saying today, right now, is the day to do those things. To be right with God, to allow Him to renew you and we need to eagerly await his return. Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 13 says, For the grace of God has been revealed, bringing salvation to all people. And we are instructed to turn from godless living and sinful pleasures. We should live in 
this evil world with self-control, right conduct, and devotion to God. See, that's where our oil comes from. While we look forward to that wonderful event when the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ will be revealed. Hebrews 9.28, part of that verse says, He will bring salvation to all those who are eagerly waiting for Him. 1 Corinthians 1.7, part of that verse says, As you eagerly wait for the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. And in Revelation 16, verse 15, Take note, I will come as unexpectedly as a thief. Blessed are all who are watching for me, who keep their robes ready so they will not need to walk naked and ashamed. Do you anticipate his return this morning? Or or are you distracted by so many other things in this life? If we're really looking forward to heaven, if we truly believe that Jesus is preparing for us something greater than we could ever imagine, anything that we'll ever experience here on this earth, then we will live prepared for him, for his return. And as the praise team comes this morning, many of you here, you are faithful, prepared, wise in your faith. You are alert, you are faithfully ready for when Jesus returns. And I just want to say, good job. Keep it up. That's, that's what we're here to do, to encourage one another as we come together, to pat each other on the back, say, keep going, you're doing great. We're in this together, it's not going to be easy, but I see that you're ready. I see you're prepared. But in a church congregation this size, the reality is, is some of you might not be quite ready yet. You've been procrastinating. You've been thinking, well, I'll get that oil next week. I'll get ready for Jesus' return next month. I, you know, I got I to gotta hang out with some friends this month, and so, I, you know, that's going to create an issue. There's going to be some friction there, so I'm going to wait. That's not how it's supposed to be. None of us know if we have tomorrow. What are you doing with today? My prayer is that you take the first step to get prepared, that you don't get shut out of the wedding banquet that at no time will Jesus say, sorry, I don't know who you are. This morning, if you need to make a decision for Jesus, we invite you to come as we sing. Will you stand with us this morning?